Chapter Eleven of From Tangier to Tripoli by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. A visit to an oasis republic. I have just returned from the great oasis of Fagig on the boundary between Algeria and Morocco. It lies here in the heart of the Sahara Desert, four hundred miles south of the Mediterranean and one thousand miles from Timbuktu in the French Sudan if i should go westward through morocco about as far as from new york to pittsburgh i should strike the port of mogador on the atlantic ocean while if i took camels and traveled to the east i should have to go through the sahara for a distance as great as from philadelphia to salt lake city before i found anything green and came to the valley of the nile fagig was long a caravan center and even today the freight from a number of oases is shipped here on camels the products of Talfalel in Morocco, whence come the best dates, and of Tuat, a large collection of oases in the Algerian Sahara, three to four hundred miles to the south, were brought to Fagig as a distributing point. Now a large part of this freight has been diverted to Colombe Bekar and Beni Unif to be sent northward by the railroad. Fagig is about as far north as desert camels can come without danger of taking cold if they go farther they get sick and die for this reason the goods from other oases were once brought here and then sent to the mediterranean on donkeys or mules the exchanges were made at fagig and caused it to become a commercial center its merchants were among the shrewdest of the sahara and sent regular caravans to tlemcen and to melilla in spanish africa on the mediterranean sea since the french completed their railroad to beni unif Fagig has been losing its trade. In fact, the caravan trade of the Sahara has fallen off generally. The trains of 1,000 or more camels guarded by soldiers, which used to start across the great desert with perhaps half a million dollars worth of ivory, gold dust, and slaves, have dwindled to bands containing 100 camels or less, and the caravans diminish every year. Some European merchandise is carried across from Tripoli, Tunisia, and Algeria to the Sudan but most of the goods for that section go to the ports of west africa by steamer and are taken by railroad and river to the headwaters of the niger we started out from this fortified town of beni unif where camel troops were making their way through the streets officers in uniform were dashing about on arabian horses and companies of soldiers in bright reds and blues were marching in various directions the french government does not permit travelers from here to go alone into this part of morocco and it was only upon my showing captain periel the chief of the arabian bureau here a letter which i have from our secretary of war to the governor-general of algeria that two arab soldiers were detailed to accompany us these men were armed with repeating rifles they rode arabian horses and kept right in front of or close behind us during our journey in addition to them i had with me my son jack and mr pascalet the proprietor of the hotel du sahara and one of the leading merchants of this part of the world mr pascalet who speaks arab as well as french and english acted as our guide and interpreter during the day he has a branch store in one of the largest of the fagid villages and has many friends among the people we started at daybreak the sun was just rising as we left beni unif it came up a red copper ball out of the eastern horizon and in a few moments took on a white heat 
only to be shrouded half an hour later by the thick sky which sent down on us tonight the sirocco or wind storm of the desert we rode along single file each of the soldiers sat on a red arab saddle with a high pommel and back and their horses were good mr pascalet rode a white morocco mare which he said had cost him a thousand dollars and upon which he had recently ridden seventy-five miles in one day jack and i were mounted with english saddles on two pure arabian three-year-old colts which belied the gentle nature commonly attributed to their breeding they bucked trotted and galloped and at irregular intervals acted worse than the average western bronco when a tenderfoot rides him we managed to keep our seats however notwithstanding the stony desert and the winding walls of the oases enclosures it took us about an hour to reach the moroccan frontier crossing it between two high mountains we at once entered a beautiful valley filled with thousands of date palms this valley contains the oasis of Fagi, which consists of great date plantations standing at the entrance between mount Taria and mount zenaga each an arid stony brown mass about six thousand feet high we could see a forest of green-leaved palms ranging in width from two to three miles and extending up a ravine for a distance of seven miles or more on both sides and beyond were nothing but sand rocks and mountains perfectly bare dry and thirsty the palms formed a great green sheet in this setting with the round brown watch-towers made of sun-dried brick and the yellow minarets of the village mosques rising above it on a hill in the centre we could see the mud houses of the village of zenaga but the other towns of the oasis were hidden in the forest of palms this oasis has about the largest number of palms in one solid block of any in the sahara mr pascalet thinks there are more than a million trees and i am sure i saw two or three hundred thousand in front of and below me as i stood on the yorf one of the highest parts of the oasis many of the sahara oases lie along dried-up watercourses which are flooded during a part of the year Fagig is fed by hot springs which rise out of a hill almost in the center and are conducted by underground drains about a foot square made of stones and cement through the fifteen or twenty thousand acres covered by trees some of these springs are lukewarm while others have a temperature of about one hundred and sixty degrees fahrenheit the largest of the springs are found in the date plantations on the highlands of the town of el abid near the center of the fertile tract who first constructed these underground drains that carry the water from level to level no one seems to know the arabs answer the question by saying we do not know when they were built but it was many many years ago it may have been two centuries ago and it may have been longer these drains are kept in order today and new ones are constructed from time to time there must be hundreds of miles of them for they reach every part of the oasis being connected with great reservoirs in each of the village plantations where the water is stored when not needed for irrigation each tree gets a good drink at least twice a week i visited el abid and its springs the palms grow all about them in some places they are only two or three feet apart so that the branches meet overhead and shut out the sun some of the springs are in great vats some are in hollows or ravines and others in wells or square tanks during our visit the arabs were bathing in one of them and crowds of gowned men with rags about their heads looked out at me over their long beards as i took these notes 
at one place jack attempted to take a photograph but the arabs protested and looked angry only to smile again when they were told that we were merely taking pictures of the palms and springs and that we had very good-looking men in france and america and hence did not need to take home pictures of the natives of Fagig. fifteen thousand acres is a pretty big farm yet as i estimated that is just about the extent of these oases this Fagig farm however is like nothing you can imagine it is divided into little pens or gardens each of which is a date plantation many of the holdings are not more than a quarter of an acre in size and each is surrounded by walls from eight to twelve feet in height these are of sun-dried brick plastered with mud they usually face upon the roads which are so narrow that as i rode through them on my horse i could easily touch the mud brick walls on both sides here and there where a wall was broken at the top i could look over and see the date trees and gardens within many of the date palms reach high above the wall while others are not more than six feet in height but still they bear fruit they are about eight inches in diameter and seem to carry the same thickness from the ground upward the highest were not over twenty feet tall i judge at the top the palms branch out in great fan-like green leaves and from the roots of the leaves hang the clusters of red and yellow dates the fruit is long flat and smooth and of much the same shape as a butternut with a shell on i saw many clusters any one of which i am sure held half a bushel of dates and not a few trees were half a dozen clusters or more we ate them fresh from the trees they were sweet as honey and their flavor cannot be imagined by those who have tasted only the mushy dark brown dates of our grocery stores under these palms apricots peaches pears pomegranates and fruits of like nature were growing and below them in some places were beans onions and other vegetables three crops being produced on the same soil at the same time outside the date plantations were unirrigated fields where grain had been planted to take advantage of the slight rainfall which comes during certain months of the year these fields are also given some water from the springs as we went on our journey we could see how important the date palm is to these people of the desert it is their bread firewood and lumber over the ditches that here and there cross the streets were bridges of palm wood i observed the doors in the walls of the date gardens each plot has but one door and that not higher than my waist indeed some of the doors are cut so low that the common razorback hog would lose his bristles if he should try to go through them these gates are of palm planks sawed out by hand and rudely pegged together the date tree forms the pillars that uphold the house roofs it is used as beams and rafters and it is made into ladders for the watch-towers the towers are of mud brick but there is more or less palm wood in them and the platforms on which spies sit at the time of date harvest to guard the crop against thieves are of the same material i was much interested in the palms they look ragged and rough and on the taller trees there are no leaves except at the top i am told that each ring of bark represents a year's growth if this is true many of the palms must be a century old they begin to bear at ten or twelve years yielding crops every two years thereafter the dates here are not as good as those of some other parts of the sahara they are better for instance in tugort and in biskra stranger even than the palm trees are the people of this out-of-the-way land each of these oases has its little village and every small desert settlement is a community of its own kind 
the villages of Figuig are seven. The first and largest contains more than 3,000 people. It is known as the Naga. The next largest is El Udigir, and the third is El Abid, which I have described as having the hot springs and as furnishing water for the greater part of the Figuig plantations. The four other villages are named El Mez Fukani, El Mez Tatani, El Haman Fukani, and El Hamam Tatani. These seven Fagig villages have more than 15,000 inhabitants, but taken together, they constitute a little United States of their own, with a Congress but no president. Each village governs itself, while a common council of the combined villages governs the oasis. Each village government consists of a council of 17 members, of whom five are landowners and 12 are laborers. The common council has 21 members elected by all the villages. It passes only upon matters relating to the whole corporation of Figuig. The village councils regulate all things affecting their respective villages. They appoint the local judges and make the town laws. Matters of peace and war with villages outside Figuig and all questions regarding the water supply are dealt with by the common council. Come with me and look at one of these oasis communities. We shall go through the town of El Abid. The municipality contains about 2,000 souls, but it is not in the least like any town of that size in our country. In the first place, I doubt whether it covers more than 20 acres, and as one looks at it through the palm trees, he sees only the mud walls that enclose it, with the flat-roofed, windowless mud buildings rising above them here and there. We enter El Abid by a gate in the wall, perhaps 10 feet high and about 5 feet in width, which is shut at night by rough doors of palm wood hung on rude wooden hinges there are two gates to the town and outside one of them some camels a part of a caravan which has just come in from the desert are now lying on the ground chewing their cuds while the arab driver sits meditating in the midst of his freight which he has unloaded for the time as we go through the gate we pass donkeys laden with grain and sugar and turning this way and that find ourselves in dark covered streets in which we might lose our way had we not guides the town of El Abid reminds me of the catacombs. There are houses built over the streets, with only here and there a hole for the light. Outside is the fierce glare of the African sun. Here in the main streets it is almost as dark as in some subterranean cavern, or in the tomb of T in the valley of the Nile above Cairo. The streets cut the town at all angles. Some are too narrow for horses, so that one must dismount and go through them on foot. In some of the wider streets, ledges have been built along the walls upon which shrouded figures lie and sleep or sit cross-legged and chat. At intervals, we see men squatting on the ground, hugging the walls while they work away at their trades. I notice several tailors making gowns, a cobbler or so sewing on yellow slippers and one or two peddlers. There are many little boys with sore heads, closely shaven, and sore eyes with flies buzzing about them. They stop and stare at us. As we go on, many bearded Arabs scowl at our camera. There are no Arab women to be seen, although now and then I catch a glimpse of sheeted figures running out of our way. In the Jewish quarter, I see some girls with earrings as big around as the bottom of a pint cup. The Jewish men are dressed like the Arabs. The town of Zinaga, which we next visit, is very similar to El Abid, save that its streets are a little wider and it has a business section. This surrounds a square which does not cover more than a quarter of an acre. 
i have seen many a stable yard quite as large around this are a number of small stores with a motley crowd of arabs shopping and chatting outside them some of the men are buying wool and others sugar and tea the average store is not much bigger than a good-sized dog kennel and the customers stand in the street while they bargain we left our horses in the square in charge of the guides and visited one of the principal citizens a merchant of wealth he was worth probably five hundred dollars we met our host in the square and went with him to his house we were told to wait a short time in the street outside that he might go in and tell his women to go to their own quarters as strange men were coming a moment later the door was opened we entered first a courtyard roofed by the sky and surrounded by stables in one stall was a loom at which a woman had been weaving a blanket in another a boy was cutting up palm roots for firewood this court was surrounded by mud buildings about forty feet high they were of two stories with a gallery around the second floor these buildings contain the living rooms of the family all of which face on the gallery such rooms are used chiefly for sitting or loafing the sleeping places being on the roof except when the weather is bad all fagig sleeps with only the sky for a cover the whole population practicing the open-air cure crossing the yard we were taken up to the second floor into what was i suppose the best room of the house it was some twenty feet square and perfectly bare the ceiling was twenty-five feet in height the walls were whitewashed and the ceiling was decorated with palm leaves dyed red and green the room seemed well lighted although it had only one little window high up in the wall this had no glass and was barred with iron with the single exception of a rug about as big as a bed quilt there was no furniture there was not even a divan built out from the wall as in some moorish houses nevertheless our host seemed to think his house very fine and i doubt not that the rug was better than those in many other homes in the town he motioned us to sit down upon it and then fearing that we might not be comfortable with our legs under us he had several soap boxes brought in and asked us to sit upon them we preferred the rug after we had taken our seats about half a dozen dark-faced bearded men relatives and friends of our host came in and were introduced to us they were all arabs and we sat together in arab fashion cross-legged upon the rug after a short time a slave appeared with a musk melon and a bowl of ripe dates fresh from the trees we ate them with their fingers while we watched the man of the house make the tea first he put a handful of green tea into the pot and then a bunch of green mint leaves on top he filled the pot with lumps of sugar which he broke with a tack hammer from a round sugar loaf as hard as rock candy he then poured on boiling water from a kettle brought in by a slave and left the liquor to steep as the sugar melted he added more from the loaf and now and then put in more mint tasting the tea from time to time until he thought it just right he poured it carefully into little wine glasses seeing that each glass was filled to just the same height when all the glasses were even he handed them around we drank the tea slowly chatting as we did so our host made a second pot and a third and each of us took three glasses as etiquette prescribes the mint gave the tea a delicious flavor it was not a mint julep but a sort of mint syrup and on the whole it was about as good as any tea i have tasted End of chapter eleven